0: you
1: got? Apple juice.
0: Oh, you went the PG-13 route for drinks. I have wine. rachel and that is my best friend grace i'm grace and that's my best friend rachel Aww. Aww. welcome welcome back also where are we this week
1: we are in medan indonesia Ooh. Ooh.
0: i probably should have looked on a map where that actually is it is in
1: sumatra oh okay north sumatra okay Um, It is the largest city in Sumatra. I should actually probably say my sources. I've got triposo.com, myeducationforummotion.com, and Wikipedia for the little things that I couldn't figure out. Yeah. (laughs) The history of it was a little bit confusing because it kept bouncing back and forth. A couple of those different sources that I found kept bouncing back and forth between, like, North Sumatra and... Madan itself, and then I was like, "Is this specific or is it like broader? And then it switched to like Malaysia for a second. It was very That's weird weird. It was very weird. and so I just kind of exited out of that and went to something else. okay. So, like I said, it is the largest city in uh, Sumatra. Okay. In ancient times, the city of Medan was known as Kampung Medan or Medan Village. It was swampland, basically, at the time. Some of the rivers crossing Medan drained directly into the Straits of Malacca, which come into my story. Oh! The area in and around Medan City, Delhi, and Langkat Regency was the location of the ancient kingdom, kingdom of Haru. The kingdom was established by the Karo people and flourished between the 13th and 16th centuries. There are actually several archaeological sites around Medan uh, connected to that kingdom, which I thought was a really cool one and I thought I should add. So, Medan was founded by Guru Patimpus Sembiring Palawi. What a mouthful! A great name. Um... Not sarcastic. I think that I really. I mean, think that really a is a fantastic name. Um, <laughs> it, he was a Karanese man who came from the Karo land. Before he became a Muslim, he was a Pemena follower, which was considered. It's considered to be the first religion of the Karo people. So, he studied Islam from Datuk Kota Bangung. At the time, Guru. Patimpas wa- and his people wanted to meet Datuk. Not only did they want to meet him, they also wanted to compete with him for power. Okay. Yeah. Uh, whenever Guru Patimpus went to Kota Bangan, he, Bangan, he always passed Pulo Brian. I Brian. keep pulo- on wanting to say Pulu. It's not, Hup. it's Pulo. Polo. 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 Polo Bran. He fell in love with a princess at, there, and eventually he they married and had two sons, Kolok and Ketchik. The married couple then turned the forest area, where the Delhi River and Babura River met, into a small village, naming it Kampung Medan. The day has been marked as the date of Medan's anniversary, the 1st of July, 1590. However, I did find a couple of sources that said that there was disagreement about the actual anniversary the, yeah. that it was created. So, okay. take that part with a grain of salt. Yeah. Based on the diary of a Portuguese merchant in early 16th century, it stated that the name of Medan was actually derived from Medina, which is a holy city in western Saudi Arabia. However, other sources indicated that the name of Medan actually came from uh, Indian language Medan. One of the Karo Indonesia dictionaries written by Darwin Prinst, S.H. Published in 2002 wrote that it could also be defined as Recover or Be Better.
0: Be better, be better! Be better, be better.
1: Like I said before, the first population of Medan came from uh, the Karo. Kiro community, it wasn't until the Sultan of Aceh sent his warlord to be the Sultan of Aceh's representative in Tana, Delhi, that the Sultan of Delhi started to grow. This growth stimulated growth in the both the population and the culture. Okay. And the second year of reign between the Sultan of Delhi, between 1669 and 1698, there was a cavalry battle in Medan. And there's not really a lot of information uh, or change until like the 1860s when the du- when Dutch colonists began clearing the land for tobacco and plantations. Kota Medan quickly became a center of government and commercial activity, dominating development of Indonesia's western region. In 1915, Medan officially became the capital of North Sumatra province and officially became a city in 1918. In 1492, the Japanese invaded the area and Sumatra was placed under the command of the 25th Army based in Singapore. Mm -hmm. Following the surrender of Japan in 1945, Sumatra came under the authority of Southeast Asia Command, headed by a British admiral. On the 17th of August... Indonesia gained independence in Jakarta. However, news of this proclamation was only announced in Medan a month later. Oh, okay. After Allied troops landed in October, clashes with armed Republicans led to the Battle of Medan. In December of 1947, the Dutch established the state of East Sumatra with Medan as the capital in the area they controlled following uh, the Operation Product against the Republicans. This became part of the United States of Indonesia, but it was dissolved into the Unitary Republic of Indonesia in 1950. Oh. The city development remained stagnant basically until the 1970s when big developments, especially palm oil and rubber plantation company headquarters, made Medan the busiest city outside Java. The big migration program brought a lot of Javanese and the Batak people to settle in the city as uh, a lot of people from Java and rural parts of the province came for jobs in 1998 to I don't know I had a feeling this might have something to do with your story so I was wary about whether or not I should do it I don't know why what year is it it was 1998 it might about the Asian financial crisis is yours anything to do with that uh-uh. Okay, cool. No, not the financial crisis, no. Because part of it sounded kind of interesting, and there was a student involved. No, later. but we're going okay, to have cool. to come back so I can look at that. So in 1998, May 4th through the 8th, there were riots that occurred in Medan due to the 1997 Asian financial crisis. Oh, they, it began with demonstrations amount around many campuses for nearly two months between students clashing with security officials which eventually resulted in the death of a student.
0: Oh! The next day, the
1: mobs became bigger, targeting and attacking businesses and trading sector that led to a racial riot, with a lot of the shops and vehicles burned and looted at several roads around the city, which was, the majority was owned by Chinese residents, and as a result, a curfew was imposed for more than two weeks until peace returned. I mean, a really cool thing mean. about Medan.
0: <laughs>
1: Sounds weirdly familiar mm. yeah that's why i'm sitting here like mm, 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 yeah mm, mm. a really cool fact about medano is that they have the largest volcanic lake in the world lake toba which i almost covered because the legend behind it is so interesting but it was really short it's all about this how the lake formed and how like what is the legend how did the lake <clears throat> form Well, there were so there's two different legends, and they kind of coincide. Like they have a they have similar stories. Yeah. Um, about a. (laughs) Nap. Fly, literal Uh, fly. (laughs) There is so basically there's this um man who is fishing, and he meets this fish, and he's shocked because it talks, and she says if you never tell anyone that i'm a fish i will transform into a woman i will be your wife and i will love you and we will have sons and he's he's like sure specifically sons well children children (laughs) um so she turns into a human and they fall in love and have children and then one day one of the children does something like that or does something on accident and the father's like this is what i get for having children with a fish basically <laughs> and the child hears and tells the mother and she ends up back as a fish and really sad and he, he never sees her again and it's really yeah but and a lot her, more eloquent than that and her, and her
0: tears filled the lake
1: yes exactly exactly i'm so glad i could just see where that legend was going yes and she cried so much that her tears filled the lake the lake and that's how it was formed and i thought it was such a cool thing and then there were there are um stories about ghosts and stuff but the people uh in the region especially uh, I, th- i think i read that especially the muslims in the area don't believe in ghosts or don't like talking about ghosts or something like that so there isn't a lot of information about the potential ghosts surrounding the lake Mm -hmm. there wasn't really a lot that i could go on yeah but it was really cool i got two pages into it and i was like fuck yes yes yeah but yeah that was my history what's your story my story is um by the way yes there are two actors i think that you really look like that i really look like yes one is obviously uh kimberly j brown um of course thank <clears> you <throat> i will take that i love her <laughs> the other one is um who is it i'm googling it it's that girl that was in like every single show and procedural as a little girl, she's a really good child actor. She's in the Good Witch now.
0: Oh, that one little girl. She also played on Once Upon a Time, I think.
1: Oh, she might've, I don't know. Uh, her name is Bailey Madison. Bailey Madison, yes. Yes. I think you all look really alike, I really do. Thank you so much. Cause you've g- both got the, the little chin and your nose is so similar and your eyes are similar. It's very, very weird. Thank you. That makes me feel really
0: cute because she's adorable. So, my story this week is of the, as a few sources put it, the Black Magic Killer. Ooh. Fancy okay. name, right? So, Ahmed Siraji is the guy's name, just to... Okay. Yeah. My sources are murderpedia.org. Thefamouspeople.com, PeoplePill.com, Ranker.com, Unreserved Media, which I do have to say was my main source here. This was the one mm-hmm. that made the most sense to me at least. So it was my main source. Like timeline-wise? Yes. Well, not just time not just timeline-wise, like in general, <laughs> like in general. It made the most sense. <laughs> okay. um, a Facebook post by Halloween, Halloween highest. Is apparently oh, okay. a page one. That's All right. so cool. I will, I'm, I mean, go to their page, you can search for it. Cool, whatever. And topdissertations.com, someone wrote an essay about him. Cool. Ahmed Siraji was born January 10th, 1949, in Medan, Indonesia. Also, tell me why my
1: semi-intoxicated brain read that as Indianapolis. Uh, that's okay. You just missed the thing that I did, which was <laughs> Madame. That's good. That's really good. <laughs> okay.
0: Um He was born into a very humble home with the family business being that of cattle breeding, which you know mm. it's a semi rural part of Indonesia, so the cattle yeah. breeding very brings in the money. Yeah. Very little is known about his parents. However, it is known that his father was a local shaman who was widely respected. Okay. He was known for his ability to cure any mysterious illness. It is no surprise that Ahmed would want to follow in his father's footsteps. I mean, that's my goal, too. That sounds super cool. And at one point, he said, I aspire to follow in the footsteps of my father. I did not learn sorcery from anyone else. But, my father. Ahmed was actually a very successful cattle breeder and shaman uh, as an adult. He earned most of his income from being said shaman, earning about 200 to $400 for each service performed.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. It's a lot. Dang.
0: He became loved and revered by his community, being known to move clouds and heal the sick. This oh, right like if you can move clouds
1: good job good job not that the wind will do it for you if you can move (laughs) clouds good job i mean (laughs) if it's really dry out and you're trying to get
0: rain okay yes (laughs) and that's probably what they meant by it but i'm just thinking someone standing out there in like the middle of Cloudy weather and just like, move along, clouds, move along. Hey, sometimes it works. Sometimes it does work. You just got to talk to them. Get on their level. Well, I mean, you can't. You,
1: just... <laughs> you, gotta go up to <laughs> you have to go up to them.
0: Okay. They soon begin to refer to him as Nasib Kellawang. I do apologize if that was pronounced incorrectly. I could not find any pronunciations on Google or YouTube or anything at all so i do apologize um he was also referred to as that took maringi so his specialty um soon became love potions and magical solutions to miracle miracle marital and fertility problems i mean that is definitely miracles (laughs) but you're not wrong (laughs) yeah but that was not enough for Ahmed. One night in 1986, his subconscious cooked up a very sinister nightmare. He was walking through a swamp, following behind his deceased father, who would occasionally turn around and put a finger to his lips. Just kind of like, shh, shh, shh follow mm-hmm. me. He led his son to a sugar plantation where human bodies could be seen half buried standing up. He then turned to his son and, with a wink, informed him that he must drink the saliva of 70 dead women in order to become a more powerful sorcerer and shaman. Your face.
1: <laughs> this, like, look, this is super weird. In my what opinion, I right? Like, dislike the most. Is that, um. Uh, I feel like he probably felt like this was a legitimate message from his father, and that things are about to get bad, and I'm not surprised, but damn.
0: One source said that he did spend a lot of time over some books regarding interpreting dreams, and he was like, Oh, my father for sure says I need to do this in order to gain immense power. That's okay. That's not okay. Um... Uh huh, uh huh. Yep, yep. He did just as he was told by his long dead father, until he realized that waiting for
1: dead women to just show up
0: was gonna take oh, a no. long time.
1: Mm. And obviously, already dead people have very all their little saliva, so you yeah. can't like dig them up. Oh.
0: So you know, he decided to take matters into his own hands. He would often lure clients into a neighboring sugarcane field in order to perform a new ritual that he had learned. When the women arrived to the field, he would instruct them to stand in the hole that he had previously dug because he would need to then fill the dirt in around her. Then he would chant and come up behind the woman and began to strangle her sometimes with his bare hands and sometimes with a cord until they were dead i think that's
1: very i feel like he went with the absolute worst way like he's got all this like medicinal herbal knowledge i would assume if he's helping to cure ailments mm-hmm. and stuff I'm surprised why he wouldn't simply lure them out there and then poison them. Not that that's better. <laughs> I was gonna say. It would be less work. That's really ba- a really bad argument, <laughs> and, I, and I, I, I know this. I just...
0: <laughs> we're just gonna... We're gonna continue. He would then dig them up from the place where he had performed this ritual... And would rebury him in almost the exact same position, like standing up. Them? Yes. Did I say him? I said him. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> uh, he would then rebury them in the same position, you know, standing up and facing his house in order to protect his house and watch over him. At one mm. point, he even began calling on prostitutes when he became too impatient to just wait around for more women to come seeking his services. Oh no. Mm-hmm. And this was also a convenient way for him to make money since he could just steal from the corpses.
1: Oh my god! Great.
0: He got away with this for 11 years. <gasps> no! 11 years. And it's it really 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 helped that most of his clients came to see him in secret,
1: because nobody because no
0: one was looking for them, and if they were looking for them, no one knew where they went. However, this all changed in April of 1997. On April 29, a young farmer set out for the sugarcane fields in order to feed his livestock. As he was crossing through the field, he stumbled across a very odd mound of dirt that had not been there before. Concerned, Ooh. he notified the village
1: head a suit. So, he wasn't burying them face up. He was, he was burying them vertically? He was, he was burying them
0: vertically and facing his house. At least, okay. that is the way See, that I understood
1: it. Okay. That makes more sense because in my mind he was leaving he was only burying half of their body and the other <laughs> other half was up out of the ground. No, that's how his dream went. That's not how Yes, see that's did. why that is why I was thinking that and then I was like, I'm sure that's not correct. I'm sure he buried the whole body. I just Cause I was like, how how would he how would nobody find? And then I was like, I'm an idiot. Obviously, the whole body is underground, not. Mm. <laughs> oh. Um.
0: He notified the village head, uh, Shigito, of the mound. Shigito also just so happened to be Ahmed's neighbor. Mm. Mm. So he and a few other neighborhood men went over to inspect the mound and. Did something that I'm not sure we would do. (laughs) Did they dig it? Did they dig? They stuck a piece of wood directly into the mound. Oh. Only to be met with the stench of decay. Oh. Now he's like, oh shit, this might be serious. Might be. (laughs) So he goes to alert the local uh, military. Who literally just told him to start digging and see what he found? I'll just see what you find. <laughs> like, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just let the civilians dig into the mound of dirt with the putrid smell of and decay. That, there's no way that could be dangerous. Might be a dead dog. <laughs> that is how disease spreads. <laughs> so, the military also told them if they saw a body to just leave it and let them know immediately. Uh, you know, letting these poor people do all the, you know, the grunt work. Let them, yeah. It took six men and two hours before they got to the source of the smell. A naked, bloated, and putrefied body of a young woman was removed from the mud pile. Ooh. The police were called, but not before onlookers could spot the body and identified her as 21-year-old Sri Kamala Dewey. No one, not even her family, had known what happened to her. She had been missing for three days after she apparently left the home to run an errand. Shortly after the discovery of her body, a 15-year-old rickshaw driver named Andreas Suito came forward. He explained that on April 24th, you know, five days earlier. Mm -hmm. Dewey had asked him to take her to a specific place, but that she would not elaborate on the details. She vaguely... pointed That was her last name. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, she vaguely pointed to the, you know, in the direction that she wanted to go because she did not want him to know, ultimately, where she was going until they were more than halfway there. He recalled that she was going to visit the Dutak's house, which he found odd because it was rather late at night. When he questioned her, she said, Oh, don't be nosy. Uh. I mean, we've all been there. Like, leave me alone, dude. You're like 15. (laughs) Don't be nosy. (laughs) Don't be nosy. So this shocked Shugito. Ahmed had inquired about the commotion that was going on and even helped in the exhumation of the body. Ahmed Suraji uh, was arrested on April 30th, 1997 and went through four days of interrogation. During this period, he confessed to the murders of 42 women. Oh my God. Whom he all buried in the same field. Oh. According to Ahmed, Dewey had come to him because of a dispute that she had had with her fiancé. It was so bad that, I guess... I guess he left her for good, like, for good. Mm. She wanted him to come back. She wanted to ensure that he would not leave her for another woman, and that's why she went to go see Mm, him. So Ahmed, of course, was like, yeah, 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 I know what's going on. He explained the new ritual that he would do and that he would need to walk her down to the sugar cane field, but but that they would have to pass through the cemetery on the way to which Dewey was super frightened about and insisted that his wife join them. Um, Fun fact, he had three wives. Uh. All of them were his sisters. Oh. They had nine children. Oh. And just to be super clear, the women knew nothing about the killings until this moment. Okay. During the first part of the ritual, where he had to literally bury Dewey, as we said before, she was, of course, a little panicked, because why not? Someone is... Burying her alive (laughs) He had to reassure her And calm her down He claimed it took between 12 to 15 minutes To kill her Before he finished the ritual And drank her saliva Oh god I don't know about you And I don't know about everyone else But I want to throw up just thinking about that
1: That's not mm. I was already nauseous before this I know
0: with the help of his wife, he then stripped Dewey of her clothing because he thought it would speed up the decomposition process, um, and put her clothes in a plastic bag. And of course, went home and yada yada yada. We are back Hold. to them finding her body. Hold up, you said with the help of his wife. Yes, Dewey requested that his wife come with them because she was terrified to walk through the cemetery. I know. Alone just... with him. It was at this point when he's literally she killing out. the woman that she found out he has been killing women.
1: Oh, God. That must have been terrifying. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. During the interrogation, police and military worked to unearth the other 42 victims that Ahmed had claimed to have killed. However, only Dewey and four other bodies were able to be identified. I was not able to find the names of those people, Mm -hmm. but I'm so glad they were able to actually be identified. Um, Four more were decomposed beyond recognition, and the remainder of the bodies found were just bones and ash. With this coming to light, around 80 families came forward with reports of missing women, Which, if you think about it, could mean that he had more than 42, and
1: Mm -hmm. they were just somewhere else. Speculation, though. So, like, it could mean he had more victims, or it could mean that there's just, like, a lot more people missing. Yeah. Either way, it's sad. Yeah, it's very
0: sad. According to police, most of the victims had, in fact, been prostitutes, as I said before, who had come to see Ahmed in order to become more attractive to men, in order to be more prosperous in their business. Ahmed and his wife, Tumini, the one who had joined him with Dewey, Mm -hmm. were charged with the murder of these women and girls. By the way, I don't think I mentioned the age. These women were between the age of 11 and 40. Oh, my God. During the trial, yeah, it's very wow. During the trial, the couple, of course, denied any involvement in the murders, claimed to have only confessed under torture by the police. But this defense did nothing to help the pair because on April 27th, 1998, Ahmed was found guilty of Indonesia's worst killing spree and was sentenced to death by firing squad. Wow. Which they did go through with... His wife, however, um, who was also sentenced to death, was later reduced to life in prison. Mm. And that is the story of the Black Magic Killer. Wow, I've never heard of that before. Like, I remember... I vaguely remember hearing about it before, but I did not remember the details. And I remember... I don't remember the ending, but I remember that he was doing it as a... means to get more power. Mm. But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that mm. you you all cannot see, but I'm like holding
1: my hands over my face because this is just it's not our most graphic story, but something about it is
0: just it. There's something about it that just makes it really
1: re- really bad. I, I feel like... like it's a mixture of them going to someone that. They trust somebody that they are going to because they need help of some kind, and him killing them completely under the radar with no suspicion on him for years. It's, yeah, hmm mm-hmm,
0: hmm mm-hmm. Okay, so we're gonna move on from this, um, monstrosity. What is your story?
1: Oh, I'm super, um,
0: I, look, if you guys have not realized this 55 episodes in, I love
1: Paranormal, so. You love Paranormal. 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 All things Paranormal. Yes. Uh, I'm beginning to like it more and more. Um, it's not that I didn't like it before, it sh- I'm just very skeptical of a lot of things. Yes. I want to All believe. This... All the
0: skeptic Is there a proper word for that? All the skepticity?
1: All the skepticism. Skep yeah. All the skepticism. I have that. I have it. It's in it's in me. It's in you. Yes, all the skepticism. I'm made of skepticism and spite. (laughs) You are pure scepticism and spite. Yes. Let me embroider that real thing okay please do <laughs> uh so this was recently covered on and that's why we drink um i did not choose that it just for that reason happened. it literally just kind of happened rachel chose her story and the place and i just went with that it just happened to work out that way so uh i did not take any of this from that episode uh my sources are wikipedia ripleys.com, dot com de 173.com pc and historic but my story is the ss orang medan A ship the ship A ship what the ship wait hold on is this our first ship i believe so <sighs> Yeah. Yes. Um, so, there are multiple versions of this story, and this will be a bit all over the place, partially because of my research and how I had to keep on going off and on um, while doing this research. Yeah. But honestly, the story itself is also all over the place. So, the general story is... At some point in or around as early as June of 1947 to as late as February 1948, two American vessels, the City of Baltimore and the Silver Star, were navigating the Straits of Malacca near Sumatra and Malaysia mm-hmm. when they picked uh, they picked up several distress messages from the nearby Dutch merchant ship, the SS Orang Medan. A radio operator aboard sent. Three messages. S.L.S. from Orang Medan. We float, all officers, including the captain, dead in chart room and on the bridge, probably whole of crew dead. Then a few under- undecipherable dots and dashes of Morse code, and at last, two words, I die. Then nothing. So wait, the, fir- the first quote. Repeat that. The first one. Uh, SOS from Orang Medan. We float, all officers, including the captain, dead in the chart room and on the bridge, probably whole of crew dead, <laughs> then undecipherable dots and dashes of Morse code, and then I die. Whole of
0: crew. And then nothing.
1: They received nothing else. <laughs> whole of crew dead. <laughs> whole of crew. Whole of crew. Probably whole of crew dead. Whole crew. Yeah, just, like,
0: I know it's lost in translation, but I'm sorry, just the grammatical-
1: whole of crew. Yes. With the help of Dutch and British listening posts, the location of the SS Oring Medan was triangulated. When the Silver Star arrived after a few hours and pulled up beside the Oring Medan, they saw no signs of life, and as the, st- as the boat circled, the Silver Star noticed that a lifeboat was missing on the starboard side. That'll come in later. What? Oh my the god. Things tightened to together? <laughs> what the heck? Wink, wink. Wink. They attempted communication with the vessel, but there was no response, so the captain of the Silver Star formed a search party, and when they made their way onto the ship, they realized how accurate that message actually was. The crew of the SSRing Medan was strewn around the ship, floor littered with corpses, sprawled on their backs, faces frozen, upturned to the sky with their mouths... No, no. Gaping open and eyes staring. No, no. No. Mm. Mm. no survivors were found, not even the dog on board. Shut up. No. His face frozen in a snarl. Yeah. No. Oddly, there were as if none of that was odd. There were no signs of injury on any of the bodies, and the ship itself had sustained no in- no damage. It was as if they died from shock or terror. The captain was found on the bridge, the remaining officers in the wheelhouse and chart room, the radio operator who presumably sent the distress call was found at his station, engineers found at their stations as well. In all, 22, maybe, crew members were found dead all oh. with the same expression on their face but no injuries 22 maybe 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 well because they assumed um pulling up that a ship of that the size ship would logs have, to have
0: only had like 22 people on it no
1: Mm. what uh so i'll get there right, right. Uh, i think <gasps> yes okay yeah i do there was some other things. All of the bodies were decaying at a much faster rate than they should have been, which, with the heat as high as it was that night, a little over 110 degrees, you'd think not super odd. But the crew of the Silver Star reported that while it was hot outside, the ship itself seemed oddly cool, like there was a chill emanating from somewhere on the ship. No. <laughs> They hoped to find the ship's log when searching the bridge and the captain's cabin. Uh, when, they ser- ugh, when they searched the bridge and the captain's cabin, but found nothing. All of the ship's papers seemed to have disappeared. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The captain of the Silver Star decided to tow the Oring Medan for salvage, but once the ships were tethered together, the crewmen noticed smoke rising from the lower decks of the Oring Medan, specifically the number four cargo hold. <laughs> causing the rest of the boarding party to evacuate. Just as the lines between the two ships were cut, the Aurang Medan exploded with such force that it was lifted out of the ocean and sank, which meant there could be no further investigation. What? No. Yeah. There were actual published references to the ship and the incident, one was a publication in the Albany Times of Albany, New York on October 10th, 1948, that referenced its original source as Elsevier's Weekly, which is a Dutch uh, weekly news magazine, mm-hmm. and another from official, like an official published document from the U.S. Coast Guard in May of 1952, which included witness testimony of the state of the crew. From the ship that the was... oring Medan. Okay. I was gonna say, did
0: they have <laughs> yes. a seance to talk
1: to the ship? <laughs> no. Uh, which is interesting because many people believe it never happened.
0: I mean, yes. it is... it is hu- I was gonna say, it's human nature to be skeptical, but no, it's not.
1: This one makes a bit more mm. sense why people should be skeptical. Okay. The Silver Star was a real ship, but at the time the Orang Medan was supposed to have been sinking, Silver Star was listed on the Graceline Shipping Company's ship shipping list as the Santa Cecilia number no. three. Numero three. And in others the Santa Juana. Okay. Different sources. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. uh yeah. the Graceline Shipping Company had bought the rights to the ship and renamed it and had no record of this incident whatsoever. What? One wow. of the arguments against this ever taking place was the registry of the Orang Medan Medana itself. Officially speaking. Uh, it seems like it never actually existed, and any searches for official registration <laughs> have proven unsuccessful. Um, what? <laughs> yeah. Even Lloyd's Shipping Registers, which is a um, the huge collection of, of records. yeah so if, Yeah. And the Dictionary of Disasters at Sea from 1824 to 1962, which I would love to get my hands on, has no mention of the Orang Medan, but some say that's because the ship's registry was actually registered in Sumatra. It's like the Carfax for ships. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It sounded like it. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Carfax for ships. Yeah. Uh, Title... At the time, Sumatra was a Dutch colony that formed part of what was called the Dutch East Indies, and it's interesting to note that in Indonesian, Orang means man or person, and Medan is the largest city on the island of Sumatra, mm-hmm. so the name would basically mean the man from Medan.
0: Nice. Nice. I like so,
1: it. elegant. It's, it's elegant.
0: elegant.
1: So, originally thought to be the first written accounts of the story was a series of three articles in a Dutch-Indonesian newspaper in February and March of 1948. The story is mostly the same as later versions, but with some pretty big differences. The name of the ship that found the Orang Medan, Medan, Medan isn't mentioned. I've said it so many times, it's lost its meaning. Right. But the location of the incident is, like, 400 nautical miles southeast of... The Marshall Islands, so it was, like, nowhere near. The second and third articles describe the experiences of the survivor of the Oring Medan crew. So, it was found by an Italian missionary and natives on Tionghi Atoll in the Marshall Islands. Okay. The man tells the missionary that the sheep, the sheep, <laughs> the sheep was carrying a badly stalled cargo of sulfuric acid. <gasps> Ugh. Oh my god. The sheep was carrying a bad... the ship was carrying a badly stowed cargo of sulfuric acid and that most of the crew perished because of the poisonous fumes escaping from the broken containers according to the story the orang medan was sailing from an unnamed small chinese port to costa rica and deliberately avoided the authorities the survivor, an unnamed German, died after telling his story to the missionary who told it to the author of those articles, Silvio Shirley of Triste, Italy. New evidence found by the Skittish Library shows there were newspaper reports of the incident uh, in 1940. Mm. Uh, taken from the Associated Press in British newspapers, uh, the Daily Mirror, and the Yorkshire Evening Post. So, this is seven years prior to most other reports. Mm-hmm. So, again, confusion with the dates. And again, <laughs> there were differences in the story. The
0: All of the confusion. <laughs>
1: yes, the, the location in these being the Solomon Islands, and the SOS messages are different from later reports. Okay. The story still appears to originate with Silvo Sherry in Triste, Triste though in Italy. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if like they got the, the info and then spread it, but then <laughs> it didn't go the way it was supposed to. I don't know. No, it did not. It it, <sighs> it typically it does not go. Communication is not the best. Yes. Professor Theodor Seisdorfer of Essen in Germany spent uh, a lot of time, like 50 years, researching the story of the Orang Medan. Seisdorfer was apparently the first to mention the names of the American ships that originally went in pursuit of the Orang Medan, and if you ask, uh, he'll refer you to this German booklet written in 1954 the author of the publication was a man by the name of Otto Milke. Okay. He seemed to know a lot about about the ship with, like, not, he knew it's, like, it's route, it's cargo, and the name of the captain. Which, very interesting. Uh, <laughs> the booklet established the date of the incident as June 1947. Rumors suggest that a crewman aboard the Silver Star authenticated this. It... This booklet also mentioned that the cargo hold and what might have been inside, according to the booklet, the cargo hold contained potassium, cyanide, and nitroglycerin, and if that's true, then it would explain why there are no official records anywhere. That's some Be- shady... Mmm. Yes. Those are extremely combustible items, and if they're in a bumpy ship um, bouncing around... Um, yeah. That would, that would be bad. It could also explain the explosion shortly after the salvage attempt. Yep. So, there's that. Some have speculated the ship was carrying, um, a lot of dangerous, uh, like, more dangerous cargo. One theory suggests that the Japanese may have smuggled experimental biological weapons manufactured by them. I don't, I don't know why they latched onto the Japanese specifically, Um, Um, there's this, um... What year was this? It... Between 1940 to 1947. Most people say it's 1947, 1948. Was there stigmatism
0: then for the Japanese? Um,
1: I don't know. Because if so, that's, that's probably why. I believe there was... Oh, fuck, when was it? They were occupied by Japan in 1942. Okay. So, potentially, uh so this biological weapon known yes. as Unit 731, the weapon was secret research and development. According to this theory, the Japanese aimed to create the most dangerous chemical weapon for their uh, establishment of Japanese supremacy. I'm so sorry. Yes. You made me think of Stitch. Experiments. Experiment. <laughs> six two, six. <laughs> two six two 626. Six. I don't know. 626. Six. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, sh- I should be wearing my Halloween Stitch shirt. Darn. I'm wearing my Mothman shirt. I can see that. A Japanese bacteriologist named Shiro Ishii conducted really terrible, awful, disgusting experiments during the Second World War. And apparently, he developed Unit Seven Three One sometime in 1932, which was somewhere between eight to 16 years before all of this. So what? Wait, what? 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 Apparently, when when um, Unit Seven Three One was developed in 1932, that would have been somewhere between eight to 16 years prior to the. Orang Medan's explosion. Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay, now it makes more sense. The Geneva Protocol of 1925, uh, ratified by 33 nations, outlawed all chemical weapons, so the transport of those chemicals would have been done under, like, the utmost secrecy, mm-hmm. with a ship not properly registered, with a foreign crew, mm-hmm. with all records of the voyage hidden or altered, so the government... couldn't couldn't know nothing about it which is an interesting theory um and uh still happens today (laughs) which i mean i feel like this is part of one of the biggest reasons why this story is still so big why it's such like an urban legend basically now Mm mm-hmm so, marine historian Roy Bainton has suggested that the vessel may very well have been involved in smuggling hazardous materials, such as those previously listed, or even possibly nerve agents, which kind of would make sense with the way that the crew of the Orang uh, Medan were frozen in fear. Mm-hmm. Especially the poor puppy. Yeah. If seawater breached the Orang Medan's cargo hold, its reaction with any deadly materials may have caused a reaction leading to, like, toxic gases that could have caused, like, poisoning or asphyxiation, and I'd be willing to bet even hallucinations depending on the gases. Oh, for sure. Not to mention that a lot of those gases are super flammable. So, explosion. Yeah, But But there is an issue with this. Okay. Because of any... Gas forming and killing the crew. The crew of the Silver Star would have also have to have been affected. If that's what caused the explosion.
0: mm mm-hmm. Mhm. That was so, the um other ship that
1: picked them yeah, up, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's the one that was go that was going to tow them for salvage. And were they not affected? No. If you believe it even happened. Valid. But all of the reports suggest that there was nothing, like, they were fine, they were just walking around, it was They were whatever. human. What? What? I mean, they were finding a lot of dead bodies, so it's not really whatever, but... It, it was semi-whatever. It was a semi-whatever. <laughs> Alternate title? It was the a semi-whatever. semi-whatever. Whatever. Yeah. There is... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there are theories claiming... Okay, this is where the theories start getting a little different. There are theories claiming that pirates invaded the Orang Medan and killed everyone on board. And the problem with this theory is pretty glaring. Uh, It doesn't explain the account saying there were no visible wounds on any of the victims' bodies. Mm -hmm. It also doesn't explain the SOS message because... None of it mentioned anything about them being attacked or boarded, but oh. it does fit slightly with the um the Strait of Malacca's. Apparently, the Strait of Malacca does have a long history with piracy, but I mean, again, there were no injuries. Yeah, and the ship was completely undamaged. Yep. the only thing that was missing were those papers. So, okay. Other theories that are probably less believable. um, (laughs) There are two. uh, Some suggest UFOs. Oh,
0: Because of the way that they were
1: frozen. The way that they were like, uh. The way, yeah. yeah, Like they were defending themselves, but just frozen. And even undead pirates. Ghost pirates. So, are we talking Davy Jones here? Yeah, Pirates of the okay. Caribbean. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. 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 Which, by the way, guys, we're going to cover because it's something I want to do.
1: Um. Yes. I feel hmm. like this is the third, the second time, we, the third time we've mentioned Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> well, we have a trend going. It's okay. Harry yes. Potter, Pirates so. of
0: the Caribbean. We pick a movie we like and we stick with it. In
1: 2019... The Dark Pictures Anthology, Man of Medan, an interactive drama survival horror video game loosely based on the SS Orang Medan, was released in which players can assume control of five different characters that become trapped on on board a ghost ship, which sounds super cool, not gonna lie. It really Um, does. Unless the ghosts are trying to kill you. So, ghost ship. No! Yeah. Um... But yeah, the story itself, not confirmed, probably will never be confirmed, which makes it so interesting, um, why people keep covering it. But yeah, that's my story. Okay, Uh, one, I love the story. Two, that's very unfulfilling. I know. It's very interesting, though, thinking about the different possibilities. And of course, there's also the fact that it never happened at all. Okay, so, that was, uh, yeah. Very unfulfilling.
0: (laughs) I'm going (laughs) to repeat that so many times. It was so
1: unfulfilling, um, that... (laughs) Yeah, it's a good story. I like hearing it when I can. I think it depends on, um... But it's also one of those that I'm sitting here like, what? But what, What? right, it's it's, it's, it's confusing. There are so many... Variations and contradictions. Yeah, uh, was it in 1940? Was it in 1947, 1948? Like, heck, the Coast three... Guard wrote about it, but it's not real. But heck, was it 300
0: years before then? Who the heck but knows? But the
1: Coast Guard wrote about it, and there was a potential survivor, and and that potential survivor wrote about it before that, before the Coast Guard published that yeah report yeah and very weird
0: <sighs> yeah so 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 if you enjoyed that also if you did not we've not said that in a while if you enjoyed it if you didn't we don't care like it <laughs> please 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 you can follow us on instagram facebook and youtube at
1: myths and misfortunes or Twitter at MythsMisfortune, or you can search for us using our full name, Myths and Misfortunes. We do pop up. You can also send us an email
0: to misfortunes at gmail.com. Please, please, please check out our website. I know we say this every week, but we are working on it to try and get it to be more user user-friendly. user-friendly. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we are MythsAndMisfortunes.com our theme music was composed by McKean Fulbright and our art was created by Heather Marie Adkins their websites can be found in the description below once again don't forget to
0: rate review subscribe thanks Thank so much you. for listening guys yes <laughs> bye goodbye!